Hi everybody and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Today, we welcome Tessa Payne onto the Golders podcast. Tessa has recently been appointed the FA Women's Professional Game Technical Lead and has previously spent time as Arsenal Women's Academy Manager and has also spent a lot of time in the US coaching in her younger years. Tessa shares with us her experiences in the game and lessons she's learned along the way. Tessa, welcome and thank you for being with us on the Golders podcast today. For those that are less familiar with who you are, can you just share a quick summary about yourself? Yeah, first of all, Keith, David, um, thank you for having us. Um, absolutely brilliant uh, and honoured to be a part of, uh, of the Goldust podcast. Um, so yeah, um, a little bit about, about me, I guess. Um, so I have just recently uh, finished my role as Academy Manager at Arsenal Women. And due to start and move into a new role at the FA very shortly. Um, but um, me as a, I guess, as a person and, and where, where I started uh, my journey was, was probably, if I go right back to when I was a child, you know, I grew up um, on a farm on the North Norfolk coast. So uh, a great childhood and upbringing, you know, uh, living in the country, on the farm, near the beach, um, lots of, opportunities to play um and uh just lots of things going on um you, you were never short of anything to do although there weren't organized opportunities so for me my childhood was very much about um creating my own games and activities and and, and lots of hard work and sort of helping out on the farm and in the local community i'm eldest of four so uh, i was the uh, the, the son my, ha- my, my parents hadn't originally had. Um, so uh, there were three, I have two sisters, younger sisters and then a younger brother. But uh, I think because my family were very much involved in, in football, I became the, uh, the son that my dad hadn't got to start with and used to drag me along to, uh, uh, to watch Norwich City play. My grandfather and my, and my dad were very much involved sort of in the club and... and watching and going to games so uh, I you know from a very young age I was sort of brought up and around football um, and sport was a very big part of my life so that was really a little bit about me and I think they were the things that kind of got me started in being very passionate about sport and in in particular football so I can thank thank my grandfather and my dad for getting us into into the game which has ultimately been uh, my career so so far really it's uh, it's been very much in the game I think I've probably been in and around football for probably about the last 30 years in different roles I've had some time working in the UK and also out in the States and a whole range of different experiences um, during that time ultimately I think probably all of those things you know I'm very much about trying to help and support and develop people players coaches to achieve their potential and uh, and that's probably a little bit of what what drives me to uh, continue to do my various different roles within the game. Now you mentioned very briefly about it in that summary then, but in the mid-90s 
to early 2000s, you lived and worked in the US. Can you share a little bit about that and how that experience has helped shape who you are? Yeah, um, oh, it was, um, it was, I mean, for me, it was a great opportunity. You know, at the time in the UK, there weren't a huge number of opportunities for women in football. Um, you know, I was one of those kids that kicked the football around with the boys in the playground. There really wasn't organised teams at the time. I'd started my own team when I was about 14 and got into the game. But to have the opportunity to then go out to the States, be part of a, a university scholarship opportunity, um, and then to live and, and work out there for, for nearly 10 years was was a real opportunity for me that I took with both hands you know especially being so interested and sort of passionate about the game and and being able to play and be involved in a, a university program that was almost a full-time you know football environment and that just didn't happen in the UK at, you know at that time so for me it was a great opportunity to to sort of immerse myself in football um, along with tying that in with my education, you know, and gaining a, a degree in, in teaching. Um, so it, it gave me a start in my career, both as a coach, but also as a teacher. Um, so I think it, it really started to shape who I was and, and gave me those sort of foundations to qualifications and experiences that helped me on, on my journey. I think the other thing that it gave me was, was just this real, I remember when I first went out to the States, my first coaching opportunity that I had when I was working at a company out there and just seeing the sheer number of young girls playing football was just this sort of, just an amazing sort of feeling to see because I hadn't really seen that in, in the UK, you know, as, as, as a young coach um, or somebody that was, you know, interested in the game. So for me to go out there and suddenly see all these young sort of five, six, seven-year-old girls running around whole, you know, fields and, and sort of hundreds of teams was just suddenly this real sort of, just, I guess it gave, it opened my eyes to the opportunities that were actually out there that I hadn't necessarily seen in the UK at the time, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of. So I think that really opened my eyes and gave me the sort of I guess the confidence in some ways to know that there were opportunities out there for me uh, as a player and, and as a coach and could be a career because I think ultimately at the time I'd always thought teaching was probably my only only option you know um, because you'd had my careers advisor had said right you know what are the things you're going to do well actually none of those suited me teaching I'm I, my aim was I want to be a PE teacher and ultimately that's where I started but it just rec allowed me to see the opportunities that could be out there. It gave me role models. You know, there were a number of other female coaches working in, whether it was in football or different sports, um, you know, at, at high school coaching jobs, you know, head coaches, jobs at universities. And I think suddenly seeing those opportunities opened up that, you know, opened up that opportunity for me to go, yes, this is somewhere I can pursue a career in the game. Comprehensive answer, by the way, quite colourful. Yes, and very much so. Do you think going over to the states did that? It's obviously provided lots of confidence for you, knowing that many others, many other females, are involved coaching different sports, etc. And the way that sport is is taken in the US, because there's obviously a seriousness around it, but there's, there's also a, a volume of it of varying sports, probably more so over in the US than there is over here at times. But being a female in coaching and then coming back over here, 
what was it like for you as a woman getting involved in a sport that I dare say back then was predominantly male-led? Yeah, very much so. And, and I think it, it was probably part of my decision to come back, actually, was that I'd started to see a little bit of a change in that there were opportunities just starting to, to, uh, to arise in the women's game. They were starting to have girls development officer coaching you know, roles and they were just starting to open up girls sort of centers of excellence at the time. And so I think that was part of my reason and, and my decision to come back but, um, and, and wanted to come back because I wanted to influence and have an impact in the game in this country, having seen the potential and, and the, the drive and the success of, of the women's game in the US. So I think it was always sort of part of my reason. And obviously then in coming back, yeah, you know, I think I'd always realized it was very much a, a male dominated environment that I was, I was involved in. I think for me, I didn't necessarily really, I didn't really dwell on it that much. Although I'd, uh, I think probably because of the nature of, you know, I'd, I'd grown up kicking a ball around in the playground with the boys. I was one of those girls that didn't allow it to, to stop me. I was quite a strong-willed, I still am. <laughs> if I, you know, if I want to do something, I get on with it and I'll do it. So I think that side of, of my personality and characteristics of, of who I am probably helped me in many ways. Just accept the fact that actually I'm not going to allow this to stop me. I'm not going to allow my gender, me being female, to stop me from trying to progress my career and experience opportunities that I want to I want to have and and I think that was probably you know a part of it um, I know that you know going through my qualifications was always a little bit of a challenge um, although again I didn't think from all of my qualifications from doing my level one right the way through all my qualifications both in the US and in the UK I was the only female on you know, in all of my coaching courses until I actually got to my A license. And, and then there was another female on the course and it was like, oh, wow, okay. But I, I tended to embrace that. I tried not to look at that in a negative way. And I saw that as an opportunity to say, actually, look, I'm happy and comfortable. And, and maybe that's just because I felt comfortable in my own skin in being in that environment. I, I would very much, you know, sort of look at it and, and recognize that, it's yes it, it may be difficult but I I want to I want to give this a, a go I'm not going to allow anybody to sort of hold me back or stop me and yeah I'm the only female here on the course but I'm going to learn everything I possibly can about the men's game and the experiences that all of those other male coaches brought to the table so I sort of tried to look at it in a positive way that how much can I learn and, and gain and I'd put myself you know in a position to say right well if I'm going to put if I'm now going to be putting on a session in front of you know all of these other coaches across my qualifications or there's people watching me coach then I'd just ensure that I just wanted to go out there and show them and let me and my coaching abilities do the talking and and I I found that that was the best way to not to silence people but to to show what I was capable of it's obviously worked uh, well I think so uh, you know but I, I I'm also conscious that as a female you know, what I would try to do was try and immerse myself in games. So I felt as if I had the knowledge to, to back up my experiences and, and my abilities on, on the pitch to coach, but also not, not change who I am as a person. And I think 
being open, trying to fit in, building relationships with people and, and being, being who I was enabled me to do that. It's great to hear because it sounds very much like you know who you are rather than trying to be something that you're not. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I think I'm getting there. I think we're, we're all on the journey on that one. Who I am is, is important. You know, I think it's, it's one of those things that sometimes we don't realise sometimes how much the impact of our, our younger years, our, our, our previous experiences have on and make up who we are. Let me ask you another question and that links to hearing this word development. Are there, are there any defining moments in your life when you thought coaching development was going to be a career path, something that you were going to pursue? I think, yeah, there's probably a couple, I think, but I mean, and they probably were back to when I was, you know, when I was younger. I think I mentioned to you, I I grew up on a farm and, uh, you know, there was always loads of kids wanting to come and, you know, be part of hanging around the farm, probably because there wasn't a lot else to do in the village that I grew up in. And, And I had horses as a kid, you know, that was one of the things I played lots of sports, but I'd also... Um, horse riding was one of those other things and I actually used to you know give riding lessons to all the kids in the village so I think I knew really early on that um, I kind of had this ability to communicate with people and support and give information but yet doing it in a way that supported and allowed them to develop so I think that was one of those things that I look back and go oh I could see it even back then um, and then probably the second one was and this is when when I was at high school um, there was a time when um, all the teachers in the UK went on uh, went on strike, um, and they you know they wouldn't deliver it, any extracurricular activities. So lunchtime clubs, after school clubs, pretty much all stopped. Um, and I was probably about thirteen, fourteen at the time, and I had a great relationship with my PE teacher. And she obviously couldn't take on any of these other things, but she knew that I was sort of quite confident and involved in every possible sport so I was sort of saying look I don't want to just sit around and do nothing it's driving me potty at the, at the fact that we can't do anything in our lunch times and we've got all of these teams and clubs that we, we were working on so I and I found myself actually taking the the, the lunchtime sports teams and clubs and, and after school activities um, because she wasn't allowed probably never happened in uh, <laughs> in these in this day and age but at the time, you know, I just drag everybody outside. She'd give me the equipment and say, "Where you go? Just too far down the uh, the playing field, so we know where you are." But I'd I'd find myself running sessions, you know, whether it was netball, hockey, football, and that actually ended up um, getting me to a point where I actually then set up our own, you know, football team um, at fourteen, and and that's really what sort of started me probably on my football journey. I'd got a passion for it, but I hadn't necessarily had an opportunity to play. So I think that's probably, you know, those two or three opportunities and uh, um, kind of defining moments were probably where I knew that teaching, coaching, developing people were probably going to be where my, uh, my, my path was going to take me. So Tess, from 2005 to 2007, you were the education project manager and senior coach for David Beckham's Academy. What did that role entail? And did, did David Beckham actively play a part in the business? Did you spend time around him? And, and what was that like? Yeah, no, um, fantastic opportunity. Great 
great chance to be involved in in a project at its very infancy when David Beckham had decided to set up the academy. So he was very much involved in the process, involved in sort of day to day, not day to day, but um, whenever he was, you know, in, in, in the country, he'd be around and uh, would pop in. So we'd get regular visits, you know, he'd come in and spend some time with us. I think he was very keen to support the coaches that were working there and, and, and wanting them to feel like they were part of, you know, his program and that he, this was something that not, he wasn't just putting his name to it. It was very much about his aim to give a range of different opportunities back to young children in, in the, in the London area. So yeah, great, great group of people that were involved in it. You know, again, just some really good people to work with and learn from. Ted Dale was the academy manager there and sort of overseeing the, the program. So that was, you know, great to work with somebody like Ted. You know, there were other people that were originally in that team of sort of senior coaches, which was sort of the likes of Paul Holder, um, who's been at Brighton and, and now back at the FA. Frank O'Brien from Chelsea. Ozzy Abanji, who was over at Brentford for a number of years. Mark Warburton was also one of the coaches there at the start. So there was a, you know, a really strong team of, of coaches with a whole wealth of experience. And what was also great was there there was a real emphasis on having a number of female coaches within the program so you know there was a number of coaches that came through that program and it really gave you an opportunity to to work across a whole range of different programs and projects you know my role was very much around the education project but there was so many other different emphasis emphases on elements of projects that that ran out of there from corporate cups where we'd have different visitors coming in to day visits which was a big part of my work where we'd have kids from all over London where you know we'd send out minibuses to go and collect the the kids bring them into the academy and they'd spend a whole sort of cross-curricular day and so a, a large part of that my work was was really around developing and delivering this education project that brought thousands of kids from across London into the academy you know and uh, gave them things to sort of link back into their school day uh you know whether it was sessions around understanding what it might be to to be a football manager um you know to uh, to being a, a football journalist so we'd we'd really work to try and embed and make the the activities fun for them um, and just this whole experience for every every child whether they were a footballer or whether they were just a, a kid in school that hadn't really ever played much football but it was great and I think one of the things that that I really and and I know you talk about this in in your book around sort of the importance of kids feeling valued by coaches knowing their names and one of the things that we would do every day on our day visits with every group of kids that you know group of players that would come into the academy you know they'd arrive in their minibuses on you know at, at the gate of the academy and they'd come in and we would make sure that by the time they'd arrived and, and we'd met them from the minibus right the way through to before they'd even stepped onto the football pitches outside, that we knew every kid's name in the group. And, and that was something that we, we were all, and we, we would get tested, not tested, but we'd get challenged by, by Ted or the person that was leading the day to, to have to name every kid in our team of you know sort of 12 14 kids that were with us for that that day to be able to name them before we'd even stepped outside to work with them and that for me was just a really key thing in developing that relationship with 
those kids and making that day really special you know they were only with us for you know from what nine in nine nine thirty in the morning till about two thirty three in the afternoon but we wanted to make that as memorable as possible and it was it was something that I, I've seen and obviously was always important to me, but I, it was great to see that embedded into the days that we that we had there. And uh, it would almost become a little bit of a, a joke and a, a test to, oh, who's going to be asked to name their entire team? Uh, great experience. David very much involved. And David's just so, so humble in, in wanting to spend time with the people that were there. You know, his son Brooklyn would join in and come come in and on days and nobody would know it was Brooklyn Beckham but you know he'd run around and join in with uh, with all the kids David would just potter around and, and kind of join in and, and watch and then sit in the staff room with us having a cup of tea so uh, you know it was very humble and very and, and not just him his family as well were very much involved in the whole whole program. Sounds like a, a brilliant experience in, on many different levels the people that you've named that you work with the experiences that you went through. Now, on top of that, with your footballing journey, um, since you started off, we've touched on you being in the States. We've touched on just then about working at David Beckham's Academy. What other roles have you held in the game? And how would you say they have impacted your journey? Oh, gosh. There's been a lot of them. <laughs> There's been the, I, I'm one of those people that uh, has, uh, has had a variety of different roles within the game. As I said, my time out in the States, from teaching to start with, from coaching at universities out in the States to returning to the UK um, and getting involved in the game. You know, I've had roles as a development officer, as a, a coach at varying levels. Um, but a lot of that work has always been in, in the women's game. So, I, you know, I, I've got this passion that I want to be able to give female players the opportunities that maybe I didn't necessarily have as a child. So I think that's always been a big part of one of those sort of parts that I'm really really keen to to support but also coach development has also been a, a big part of my role so work with I worked at Chelsea uh, had some time at Wimbledon at, before time at Arsenal and, and obviously varying roles at the FA um, I think my time at the FA in my sort of previous roles were, was was a great time um, I was very much involved in, at a time when the coach education program was going through a real sort of change in its focus and an opportunity to work with some and there were probably three key people that made a big change to coach education in in the UK and I was you know very grateful to be a part of that change in working alongside the likes of Pete Sturgis, Paul Holder and, and John Allpress and part of my role was as a regional coach development manager at the time and it was just at a time when they were starting to roll out the youth awards. Um, so I was very much involved with those three in development of the content and sort of supporting them in then getting it out and actually trialing the content and seeing what it looked like and the opportunity to work with those three coaches and then start to be able to really sort of influence my, my philosophy, I guess, as, as a coach and the importance of creating the right environment, you know, setting the right type of practices and, and then being able to develop players within those environments was probably really key. And, and to be able to not just help players, but then being able to shape and influence coaches 
they were key key parts to to my development but also um, that ability to kind of give back and grow the game so I think they've all influenced my journey and I think in many ways I've I've been one of those people that if an opportunity comes along, um, I'm prepared to, you know, I'll take it. I've very rarely stayed in one role for more than three, four years. And very often seen that as an opportunity to explore and learn something new. But that national tutor workforce manager role, obviously, Ad, and you've gone through, you've explained some of the duties and the, the outcomes and the challenges. But what is it about those roles that attract you to want to do them? Oh, um, yeah. So a tutor workforce role was, was an interesting, you know, sort of role I, I sort of moved into having sort of been very much involved in developing coaches and, and sort of working alongside other tutors and then moved into, you know, this role of overseeing all of the tutor workforce across the FA um, and it, it was a it was a big role that was a challenge, but um, I think what I liked about that was that I'd had that opportunity to to work with players. I'd had the opportunity to work with and develop coaches, and this then gave me another opportunity to help have a bigger impact on a, a broader range of people and sort of impact a number of others and influence more people through the work that I was then able to do. So, you know, sort of putting in place a process, you know, in which we could educate and support all of the tutors and build on the tutor workforces and aligning those to ensure that there was key sort of learning outcomes and, and key processes in developing a tutor workforce across, you know, whether it was they were working in coach education, whether they were working in refereeing, safeguarding equality. So just ensuring that there was a sort of a consistent message in the delivery and the style of that delivery and just being able to educate and raise the standards and impact a, a bigger, wider number of people, I think was probably what attracted me and, and sort of why I enjoyed about those types of roles. But I think it's great when you, you sort of move into those and I, People often talk, you know, the higher you go, the further away from the, the, the grass you get, you know, stepping into those roles. I actually found myself missing that contact with players. And although it was great to have an impact on lots of other people and influence those, I still miss that sort of contact, that feeling of being able to get on the grass and actually work with and be closer to being able to impact and influence and support and develop young players. Tess, so we'll go to your most recent role as the academy manager at Arsenal Football Club, which you held that role for, for around four years. Mm, yeah. Can you delve into what that experience was like and, if possible, share some of the, the challenges, the successes that you had, mm. and also what support you had from the men's side of it as well? Yeah, um, I think my four years at Arsenal were, were, were brilliant. I, I loved working with the, the, the quality of players, first of all, you know, that, that we had. Um, we were in a, a great position. Obviously, Arsenal women is sort of, you know, one of the, the biggest and most well-known women's club programmes in, in the world. And the nature of most players in and around the area around London 
if they have the opportunity to play at Arsenal as, as a youngster would would come and want to to be a part of our programme. So we were in a very um, lucky position in that, you know, I got to work with a lot of really young, talented, great players. So the quality of players and the staff that we uh, that we had there were excellent. I think one of the challenges that you have within the women's game and, and in particular at the academy level at the moment is the, the game's growing, but the game's growing so quickly that, and I guess the game's growing, but also we sometimes compare ourselves to the men's game. And there's sometimes expectations that we have the same resources as the boys academies do and and the women's game just isn't resourced in the same way so um, I think one of the challenges was always you know although we we had lots of support and and program grew and we produced a huge number you know I think we probably had about nearly 30 England internationals you know that were involved in the program between the ages of sort of 13 and and 20 over you know in in the youth program and that doesn't include obviously all of the the senior internationals that play for a range of different countries all over the world at first team level but you know we're sort of known for developing young players and and bringing them through and um, that was that was great. So resources was a challenge. So sometimes we have to be a little bit creative, you know, and find different ways to be able to, to, to get the best out of the resources that we had. Um, but I think that's probably no different to, you know, some of the smaller men's uh, and boys academies, you know, that maybe at smaller clubs that don't have the same resources. So you have to be a little bit clever. You have to be a bit creative in, in what you do and how, how you work. But ultimately, Everything you do is really geared around developing and supporting the players to to sort of remain on their own their own journeys that they they shouldn't be worried about other people and comparing themselves to others. This isn't just about the now it's about the what next as well and what can we do to try and make sure every player comes through our pathway to be the best player they can be you know but I think one of the challenges we sometimes found with that was the players sometimes getting it, but it's also the education of parents and parents recognising um, that their their daughter is on their own unique journey and trying not to look at other players that are within their squads or their teams and, you know, recognising that just concentrate on the now, concentrate on why my daughter's experiences, enjoy the experiences and and, and work hard to be able to see where my journey may take me. What's your opinion about girls training with boys at professional academies? What challenges do you think they face if you did integrate the boys and the uh, the girls or the girls with the boys? And if you did do that, how the heck did you sell it? Yeah, um, actually, I mean, it was something that we we uh, a lot of at Arsenal. It, uh, it was one of those things that took a little bit of time. It took a little bit of convinced not convincing um because i think actually the boys academy were very open to it but i think it, it was just doing it in the right ways to ensure that one we selected the right level of players to be able to do it so uh we uh i think in the time that i there we had four female players that played at different age groups with within the boys academy we started out by building a relationship with the boys academy that started with just looking at trying to play some games with the the girls academy with you know against the boys academy in a training night um and that's that's how we started to build it to be able to get a benchmark really of where the girls were at technically physically 
uh, and where the, the boys and what age group the boys might align best with to be able to, to make a competitive and challenging experience and for it to be really sort of find the right level for both the boys and the girls to, to see a benefit to it and for it, it to be challenging for both of them. So I think that was where we started around just trying to sort of look at getting some games on. And then from that, we were then in a position to start having conversations and the likes of, you know, Luke Hobbs and Pear Mertesaka were, were really quite positive about the girls coming in and training with the boys. Um, they were really supportive. You know, at the time I remember the kind of, the sort of rubber stamping of it all, you know, even had to sort of, had to go to just make sure that, Arsene Wenger was okay with you know in case suddenly somebody wanted was what's this about you know girls training training at your your boys academy so the club and everybody at the club were really supportive of it the fact that you know we had some Dutch academy staff pair they're European coaches that have actually grown up and, and it's pair you know for example had grown up playing in Germany with girls in his his youth team so I think it's something in in Europe that had been a little bit more acceptable so I think that helped a little bit in they were quite open to the idea and actually it was then just about a matter about of putting steps in place to ensure the players were at the right level that we'd put all of the protocols and procedures in place I think you know some I know from the conversations I've had with different clubs that some clubs have sort of said, well, what's the benefit to this? You know, what great that we've got, you know, girls wanting to come and train with the boys and we can see the benefit to the girls, but what's the ben- what, what are the benefit that we as an, a boys' academy might see from, from having the, the girls in there? And I think was really quite, um, quite powerful in that when the girls started to go into, into the boys' academy, there was a, a, a real sort of shift and a, a change in so the way they looked at accepted the girls. So it, for me, it was more of a, an educational piece that the boys and parents of the boys suddenly seeing these young, talented girls training with, you know, with their sons really was quite powerful in that it had a real sort of shift in one, most of the parents and some of the boys had probably not seen female players of that level then if they've been lucky enough that they might have had a you know a, a talented female player in their school then they might have come across them but they hadn't necessarily been exposed to the talented female players that ultimately we have within within the academy program so I think for me it was a real sort of eye-opener for the boys for the parents and I think in in having them in and around that environment it enabled the boys to probably almost it's almost like a holistic education piece that, that they experienced is that suddenly there's this recognition or appreciation and a respect for individual differences, whether you're male or female, an appreciation of talent, no matter who you are. You, you've recently accepted a post within the FA again to become the Women's <laughs> Professional Game Technical Lead. Give yes. us an insight as to what that role is going to consist oh. of and what are you accountable for? Yes. So, uh, so I have just accepted um, a new role, um, and and that role is is really a bigger piece of trying to sort of develop the uh, the women's game, and in particular the uh, the talent pathway um, across the women's game. So it's really uh, it's a role about building relationships with the clubs. It's really about building and supporting clubs to 
build a pathway that supports their players and enables um, the FA and clubs to work together to ultimately produce the best opportunities for their players. So um, it's, it's not just a purely technical role, it's really about player development and how and what we need to do as a club and clubs and as, as a country to be able to support the growth of our talent pathway and, and then the number of players and the level of players within it. Um, so it's really about working with all the pro women's professional clubs, helping support them uh, and developing a, a, a blueprint and a, a pathway that enables and players to, to move through that effectively and ultimately help England and, uh, and, and the, the WSL clubs raise the level of, of young English players that are coming through the system. So I'm going to move on a little bit to the national team. Yes. In the FIFA World Rankings, England currently sit sixth in the world. In your yeah. opinion, what structures need to be refined for England to move up in the rankings and, and to have more success? Mm, yeah. You may have seen that recently the FA has just brought out a new uh, positive change strategy, which is, is key and a big part of that. And I think there's a number of pillars within that that ultimately will hope achieve that aim. You know, the aim is to won a major championship, whether that's a Euros or a World Cup, you know, within the, in the next few years. And, and I think a big part of that, there's a number of elements, you know, it goes right down to the, the bottom and the base of, you know, increasing the number of young players participating and, and growing the game at the bottom, but also putting a structure in place to make sure that there's, there's a greater investment in um, the talent pathway for the academies um, to ensure that those players with high potential are are getting the support that they need that they're in the best environment that they can to challenge them and test them in competitive but but different environments so you know giving them different experiences on match days you know different formats of the game to be able to to continue to grow that I think it's also about providing individualizing or individualizing programs for some of those elite players so that they can continue on their own journeys by ensuring that they're constantly being challenged but they're also getting opportunities at the highest level and, and I think one of the challenges that we we face in the UK at the moment is we're growing a fantastic product in the WSL Super League um, which is now attracting players from all over the world which is great and we need to be in a position where we can continue to grow the league to attract those world-class players but also to give English young players an opportunity to play alongside those players and to benefit from that experience on a on a regular basis to get to that next step of you know being able to to be up there with the likes of the United States we've we've got to match them physically and and that's still one of those challenges that we're uh, we we've not quite been able to match hopefully will help us in the fact that we've uh, we've now managed to uh, to get Dawn Scott who obviously was instrumental in in working with the US national team alongside Jill Ellis for a number of years has now come back to sort of take the lead on the physical performance of the England women's national team so having Dawn back in in this country to sort of shape and work with uh, all of the teams to uh, to put a, a program that hopefully will help build bridge that performance that gap that's currently there between uh, the very top FIFA ranked teams and and where we want to be 
you know we've got a great product now in, in the WSL as I said but it's also then just bridging the gap between academy players and that WSL program because players will very often come out of a, an academy at 16 or may stay through until 18 19 20 but without a WSL there is a WSL academy program in there but it's a big step from then getting from within a WSL academy team and being able to make that step into competing for first team spot within a WSL team that may also have a large number of world-class internationals playing within it. And, and that's the challenge. It's bridging that gap and ensuring those players are ready to make that step and what ways in which we can do that. What are your thoughts around parity in the game? Can you ever see that ever occurring where, mm-hmm. where the women are earning the same as the male counterparts? I don't think so. And I don't know if it necessarily needs to happen. I think we have to appreciate that they're different games and that, you know, they're at different stage in their development. Look at the, the money and look at the men's game. And, you know, in many ways, it's hugely overinflated in, in the money that, that is involved in the game. I think sometimes, although it's great because it enables us to invest and create a very, you know, elite high performance environment for those players that, and the, and the other things that come with that investment. But I also recognise that the women's game is at a different point. The profile of the game is growing, but it's, it's, going, to take a t- it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And, and actually, we don't want it to happen overnight because what can sometimes happen, if it, and, and I think we're at that point now, is that the game's growing so quickly that sometimes the infrastructure and the resources almost aren't in place to be able to support that growth. Um, and that's that's sort of one of the challenges that I think a lot of the clubs currently face at the moment. Will we get to a point where there's more money in the women's game and actually, you know, there's more professional leagues, there's additional players that have, you know, there's a, a bigger pool of players playing professionally and being paid to play and the, the salary that they're being paid. Um, but at the moment, there's real discrepancies um, over that. But that's no different, I guess, to, to the men's game. I can personally attest to where the game has gone and how it's developed. Uh, my mum played for England at a point. She played quite a few games, travelled the world. She yeah. was part-time, as it was back then. They were all, all players were part-time. And you see where it, where it was then. And for me, growing up, uh, my mum actually retired. She retired from playing when I was, when I was born or as I was on the way. As I was growing up, she was still in and around the circle. We would go to games. I remember the Euros, I believe it was, um, in the 2000s. Yeah. And she would go, there'd be Hope Powell was, was in and around. She played with Hope. And it was very different. There was a game at what is now the Etihad. Low crowds. And they were giving tickets away. And now you fast forward 15, 20 years or so. And they're filling stadiums mm. and games are on TV and players are now professional. So the development in the past 15 to 20 years from what I've seen has been exponential. I know my mum, she would testify and agree with from where she was when she was playing and was representing the country to where it is now. Is It's night and day. So it's obviously amazing to see that development and and long may it continue. Look, I have one last question for you, Tess. Yes. 
If you had any advice for females wanting to get involved in coaching, what would that advice consist of? Oh, um, I think the first thing probably as, as a female is be prepared to put yourself out there. Um, be prepared to be vulnerable and don't be afraid to, to look at coaching as something that isn't an opportunity for yourselves, especially if you know, you're new to it or sort of just starting to think about a career in coaching. Um, that's key. You know, you've got to just be ready to say, yeah, I'm going to, if this is something I want to do, don't, don't let anything stop you and don't let anything hold you back in being prepared to, um, to give it a go. I think the other things, you know, recognize that it, it may take time depending on what level you want to work at whether you're, you're starting out and you just want to work at grassroots level and worried about, you know, sort of being female and, and, and stepping into that male, sort of a sort of a male dominated environment, recognize that actually females can actually bring a lot to the, you know, female coaches can bring a lot of other characteristics to the game. You may not necessarily know the technical detail or you may not know or have played the game, but actually very often you can bring a, a lot of the other softer side, a lot of those softer skills that are involved in coaching and teaching, but trust your your knowledge of ability to interact, your, your sort of nurturing characteristics that sometimes actually can be a real positive when uh, when developing when developing players. I guess the last thing probably for me is really about just take every opportunity you get to learn from people around you, you know, to, to grow and further your knowledge, opportunities to to observe, to work with with people. The women's game is very open to to supporting those that are just starting out on their journey. Don't be afraid to knock on doors and 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 ask to observe, come and watch sessions because most people that I know within the women's game are, are quite open to people coming in and, and learning a little bit more that might help you on your journey. Tess, thank you for those wonderful insights into women's football. And all the best to you on your new role within the FA. You know, some of my uh, bits of information that I've been able to share might uh, be of use or of value or of, of help to somebody on their journey. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.